I don't know how I feel about myself as a person right now. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. Dear listeners, and welcome to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and I am just here for a brief introduction for what you are about to hear. This episode was recorded February 23rd, 2016. That's right, 2016, as in a year ago. Um, Prior to our unplanned hiatus last year, we had several episodes that were already recorded. And between going to a bi-weekly schedule and simply wanting to keep most of our episodes topical, a few of those episodes are still languishing on my hard drive. Like this one. Uh, this episode is the oldest recording of the six that still have not yet been released. So in this episode, please keep in mind that we're sometimes referring to things that happened last year in those halcyon days before uh, the rest of 2016. As for the other episodes, we will be releasing them here and there between episodes with fresher content. Since it will be a couple weeks before our next chance to deliver newer news to you, here's a quick recommendation. Go see the movie Get Out. It's fantastic. It's one of the most important horror movies in decades. Seriously, it's great. Go see it. So now that you have that little nugget stowed away, I now give you some of our thoughts from last year. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am one of your co-hosts, Wendy, joined from afar. You can hear her. She's over there. Her name is... Melissa. My other co-host. Yay! Yay! Hello. My other, my other co-host. That makes it sound like I've got more than one. My co-host. Well, maybe I have a duplicate, like Christian Bale in The Prestige. The other co-host. Anyway, my tongue got tripped up. It's just us on this episode, Melissa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're gonna yeah. T- when we're gonna do a twofer. We're gonna talk about a couple of movies that are related mm-hmm. and um and deconstruct them and comp- we're gonna do a compare contrast essay. Yes, I think we are. Do you have your Venn diagram ready? Yes. <laughs> Flap your flippers if you are ready. Um, <laughs> Rub vigorously with your flippers. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. I am, again, drinking a little bit of two gingers, nicely watered down with an ice cube. So um, if my tongue gets a little bit out of control, it's I blame it on the whiskey. Mm. <laughs> I, I am still working on a bottle of Nuglaris Staghorn Oktoberfest beer. I have only one of these bottles left in the fridge. I I applaud you Mm. right there. See, and I'm blaming it on the whiskey like Millie Vanilli blamed it on the rain if the rain were whiskey. Blame it on the booze. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
So that happened. Uh, yeah, I witnessed. Your birthday is in two days, Missy. What are you doing for your birthday? Oh, I'm uh, recording a podcast. <laughs> what? Which one? Uh, Real Education Noir. They're running film noir all February oh, at yeah, yeah, the yeah, Heights yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends is playing on Thursday night. So Allie and I are going. Where the Side... That's a Shel Silverstein book. Well, it's the title of a Shel Silverstein book. It's also a film noir. Okay. Who's in it? Do you know? Uh, it's... I've, I want to You say don't have to look it up. I want to say sometimes. it's Dana Andrews. I think it's Dana Ooh. Andrews. Um, let me... You, you know don't what? have to look it up, but, you know, it was one of those... I've seen it of... before. It's really good, and I can't remember who the lead actor is. It, 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 hold on. Now it's going to kill me, because i got to look it up now. <laughs> Where the sidewalk is? Dana Andrews! Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I got it right. Also, Gene Tierney. Ooh. I know, right? Oh, that's nice. I, I like me some Gene Tierney. Got it out of your system? Yeah, maybe. All right. So what are we going to talk about tonight, Melissa? Well, today? we decided mm. to do a pairing of films that uh, you could be d- discussed at length. Now, most films can be discussed at length, but I feel like these films can really be discussed at length because, oh boy, a lot of things happen in both of these movies. Yes. The first one being the 1992 film, Bad Lieutenant, with Harvey Keitel. And really nobody else. Yeah, it's all about Harvey. It's it's all about the Harvey Keitel in that one. And but also notably, like nobody else of name really makes an appearance. It's yeah. pretty much a one man show. Yeah, it's um, you know Harvey Keitel was doing a bunch of the um, small indie movies during the early '90s, which is how he came by Quentin Tarantino in his youth. So it you know this was kind of part of that family of movies. Mm. The other film that we're going to talk about is the 2009 film, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, which is a Werner Herzog movie, which is neither a remake nor a reboot. And yet, it it is Bad Lieutenant, sort of. Kind of. With Nick Cage. With Nick Cage. It's a very interesting movie. <laughs> They're yeah, both... you've been talking about this movie at me for for years, yeah. literally, and uh, so now I have seen it, Melissa. <laughs> I, ha- I have seen it. it it's kind of. Bonkers. I wish I had seen it with you <laughs> and with more alcohol. <laughs> I feel like it 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 was a prime candidate for a Zana Zana Cinema weekend, mm. and and we failed that we that didn't happen. But it's okay. It's I've seen it now. <laughs> yeah. You know what in in a lot of ways uh the the Nick Cage movie uh does improve on subsequent b- viewings cuz once you kind of know what you're getting into already you start picking up on the little stuff in the background. The little so not the singing iguanas but something else. Yeah, the singing iguanas are a standout of course, but uh <laughs> <laughs> you, you start you start noticing all the the other stuff that you may have missed before and it's it's also a delight. So we should start though with the 1992 movie. Yes, I concur. Which I is concur. very different. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. I mean that's um when we were talking we recorded to we record to a night listeners. We recorded previously tonight our um our magic episode with Prestige and Illusionist, and I was talking with Fess about 
this. And what I commented was, I watched these as a double feature, and that is some serious whiplash. What? Yeah. But I, I can't say I liked Bad Lieutenant, but I cannot deny that it is a very, it's just, like, I can't use any other word. It's a good film. It's, it's you, you can't not appreciate the craftsmanship. It is a great film that is very hard to like. Exactly. Very, yeah. 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 And you're not supposed to like it. It's, um, the, the master, the masterwork of this film is Harvey Keitel's performance. And Harvey Keitel is playing an absolutely reprehensible human being. <laughs> yeah. Like Nicolas Cage wishes he were half the, as bad of a lieutenant as this lieutenant. Yeah. This guy is, wow, a really bad lieutenant. <laughs> like, yeah, reprehensible is the right word. Just like, yeah. oh. you did, oh my God, now you're, do- oh Jesus. A horrible human being. So, um, yeah, it, this is a guy who's tooling around New York in his cop car. He is snorting cocaine, stopping by drug dealers, you know, uh, you know, putting all these drugs in his body. He's betting on the World Series, the baseball game, and he he's losing money and continually upping the stakes for himself. He's uh, there's all sorts of abuse of power. There's just everything. It just really seriously everything he does everything wrong he's a Name horrible human. One horrible thing that somebody living in an urban environment could do. And he does it. Oh yeah, yeah. He and he is—he's terrifying. He is a scary human being, and he's also kind of a scientific wonder. Because, good God, how is he still upright? Yeah, seriously. Like, you, you, how are you alive? What you can is- you can you can watch him just take drug after drug, trying to balance himself out, and it just keeps. You know, it, it, like with most drug abuse, you know, you never quite hit where you're trying to go. And you can see him just continually miss whatever he's like seeking. Like, I was trying to get high. I've gotten too high. I'm trying to get down a little. Oh, I've gotten too low. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. What threw me with this movie is this the setting of 1992 because this feels like a 1970s exploitation film. Oh, yes, absolutely. The, the vibe, the pacing, the camera shots, everything about it, except that it is not, It is set in, it's made and set in 1992, so they're doing things that you wouldn't have done in the 70s, and so you find yourself oddly jarred, like, oh, wait, they're doing crack? Mm-hmm. What is, are they doing crack? Crack wasn't a thing you did in the 70s. Oh, that's because not the 70s. Also, your clothes are wrong. Oh, you, woo, that's some, whoa, look at that early 90s hair. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit yeah. of that going on too. Now, here's a question for you, Wendy. What cut of the movie did you see? I I don't know. I rented it off of iTunes. So okay, whichever here's, one. Here's the question for you. Did you at any point see full frontal Harvey Keitel? Like completely. Wait, what? What context was it? I feel like I did, but he completely fucking naked. Like you see all of Harvey Keitel. Where? Yep. In what context? There's what? there's a scene, the scene where he's with the two hookers in the apartment early on and doing drugs with them. There's like a really ex- 
a explicit no, sex no, scene. I must have seen. Yeah, I saw. I saw the other one. Oh, then. there are some things I need to tell you to fill you in. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. So how the, exciting! the The original cut of the movie was, I think it was X rated or it was NC seventeen. It was somewhere north of R. There, there was a lot of nudity. There was even more drug use. Um, there's, there's, um, I think time wise, it, it's only missing maybe three minutes of movie or so, but it's a hell of a three minutes. It's a hell of a three minutes. So oh, we wait, can talk about that. We yeah. should give a brief plot summary. Uh, there's not actually a whole lot of plot. There really isn't. It's, it's very it's simple. It's a character study. It is entirely a character study. You watch this movie to watch Harvey Keitel work because this is, I think this is the best performance he's ever given. It's, it's um, amazing it's, work. It's a singular performance. It yeah. might be his best. I might have others that are I like more. Yeah, true, true. This is because he's he's very good at dry wit, and there's no dry no dry wit. Oh in no, this. no 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 no! None, this is not the movie all. for that. This is Harvey Keitel being absolutely fearless in yeah, this portrayal. It, in terms of a plot, it's you watch him go from scenario to scenario and basically double down on all of his bad choices repeatedly. Mm-hmm. There is one kind of plot point that comes up repeatedly and that there is a nun who has been raped mm-hmm. and he is supposed to be investigating it, although you get the sense that he's investigating it because he wants the reward to pay off his gambling debts. Right. Right. So... That's the most plot you've got out of it. There, yeah. There's your thumbnail. Yeah. The the other part of it is um, the nun is the opposite of him in the story. The, oh, yeah. Because he, he does not understand this woman at all. And she she's a nun through and through. She is very devout. And she is horribly raped. I mean, not just raped, but like really in atrocious ways. And, um, after she gets out of the hospital, she doesn't, she doesn't work with the police or anything. And it, she recognizes revealed. the men who raped her. She, she can right, identify she, them. She knows who strangers. they are. She yeah. knows who they are. She knows exactly who they are, but she won't tell the police who did it because, because she's forgiven them. She and that's just going to make their life, th- their life worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do like the scene later on when Harvey confronts her and is like, Okay, great. You've forgiven them, but if there are no consequences, they're going to do this to somebody else. Yeah, I, I was like, that's a really good argument. Yeah, the I wrote down this line because it's great. Your forgiveness will leave blood in its wake. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's the the confrontation between the two of them, just not understanding each other because they are absolutely. Polar opposites. You can't get more two opposite people. And you can tell he's, you know, first of all, baffled, but he also, I think, envies that inner peace and her ability to let things go, which is, you know, how the movie ends. He makes that completely baffling move and actually following her wishes of um, letting them go, letting them go, letting the, the two boys go. Not just letting them go, but letting them go in such a way as to guarantee their survival. Yeah. And getting them out of town and basically giving, hopefully giving them the means to not have to continue down the same path because he mm. gives, basically gives them a box full of money. And then, you know, he, he, 
Harvey Keitel then re- reaches his ultimate horrible end. Okay, so, but we're skipping way to the end. Let's, yeah. let's back up a little bit. So um, let's see. Uh, the Mets winning the World Series, and he what he keeps doing throughout the, the film is he bets on one game and then keeps losing and then dub any double or nothing. Yeah. On the he's next he's game. betting on the Dodgers, right? It's Met. Is it the Mets versus the Dodgers? Yeah. He, yeah. he supposedly is rooting for the Mets, but he's betting on the Dodgers to win because when it starts, it's a seven game series and the Dodgers have already won three. Uh huh. So he's like, well, of course the Dodgers are going to win. And he keeps doing double or nothing. So when it starts, he owes 15000 And by the end, he owes 120000 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You find out very quickly, like, the, your first scene introducing him is as a family man. He's got a couple of sons that mm-hmm. he's driving to school. He obviously has an extended family that he lives with, blah, blah, blah. He drops his sons off, literally drops them off, and then snorts some cocaine. Yep. Like, yep. there you go, off to school. <sighs> And you're like, oh, oh, okay. And then he's fucking over his own colleagues, the other cops, by convincing them to bet on the Mets. Mm-hmm. So that and to keep writing the bet out because it's clear he has spent their money yep. and he cannot and he cannot pay them back yet. There's that one scene where he's literally watching the dude stealing from trunks and he just watches. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck. And then he, he gives the drugs to the dealers. So the dealer, like, he has confiscated drugs from a bust. He gives them to a drug dealer on the street who is going to sell it on his behalf, keep a cut, and then he gets some of the money back. Oh, by the way, give me some of that to smoke. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, Every single scene is him doing something God awful. <laughs> and, and as soon as he gets done with that, he goes off to, of course, the woman he's keeping on the side, mm-hmm. um, who is with a different woman. So the all three of them party. Yeah, and that's and, the scene. And that's the scene where you get, if you have the X-rated version, you get the full frontal Harvey Keitel. If you've so ever been curious about that, what happens in that scene, Melissa? Lots of sex. Okay, but you were like, I need to tell you some of the stuff that happened because well, that's they're, well, that, that, they're that's the only that's the only that's the only spot that's not the only spot that's been cut. Um, the the rape scene is longer, like inter intercut a little bit more with the scenes around it. I mean, you see part of it in the R rated cut, but um, there's also um, if we follow the plot a few more minutes, um, he pulls over those two teenage girls. Oh, that's a little bit farther down. Yeah. Well, we that, can we can we can let that that scene is longer and far more disturbing. Um, and the, oh. the the sex scene in the beginning with the full frontal Harvey and the uh, the scene with the girls in the car the, those are the two that got the biggest cuts. What what ha- you were like? Oh, Wendy, I need to tell you what happened in that sex scene. Yeah. What, like oh what? that no no the the sex scene is is just full frontal Harvey and and sex 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 and that's just that it's the it's the um it's the scene with the teenage girls that i find really disturbing well yeah the the cut version was disturbing enough oh it goes farther um so he he's with the two women partying and Mm -hmm. the next scene he's now with a completely different woman in a completely different place and she's got some quote brown shit is Mm -hmm. that heroin i believe so and but they're smoking it 
right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so he leaves those women. Now he's got a different woman, and they're doing more drugs. And then he shows up back at work, and a nun has been raped. Mm-hmm. Gang raped. Yeah. With a crucifix. It's just like, yeah. oh, Ooh. wow, you really just wanted to, ugh, this Abel Ferreira guy. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, uh, what's her name? I uh, Zoe Lund was actually the woman who wrote this movie. Co-wrote, and she's the woman who is giving, who has, who's his drug yes. female. Yes. And uh, she, she actually was an advocate for heroin. Like, no, heroin's good for you. And she died of heroin-related heart failure in 1999. Yes. Because heroin is not good for you. <laughs> Funny that. I just, like, no, no. I mean, no. Mm-hmm. You, there's a lot of things about drugs that I think we get back ass words, and I don't think we should criminalize heroin use, but I don't think anybody's going to be like, no, do heroin. What could go wrong? Yeah, and I'm thinking the, uh, I think the director was also doing just handfuls of drugs at the point of making this movie. So, you know. Was Harvey Keitel? I don't think so, but I don't know. I just find it really weird because I consider Harvey Keitel a a real professional. Like how – like I would be offended if I showed up to work and the people around me were fucked up. Yeah, yeah. But the the director of this movie um, had made a few other films that have kind of the same vibe. They're they're independent films. They're really intense – they're actually pretty well constructed, even though he was doing just handfuls of drugs all the time. So I think that's what Harvey Keitel was probably responding to. Yeah. Well, I mean, a couple of facts about how they made it. They shot it in only 18 days. Yeah. It was guerrilla filmmaking. They usually, it they didn't have permits for where they were. Mm-hmm. It was handheld. And, but for all that... It's really well shot. Like, there's yeah. some really nice framing and shot composition. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know what you're doing and some really good lighting, too. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I can see why you would sign up to make a movie with this guy. Yeah, it's and it's it's an engaging story, even though it's a, not a pleasant one. Yeah, you, it certainly keeps your interest. Yeah. It, like, um... I mean, I know we're just very slowly going through this plot, but one of my favorite scenes is um, the grocery store robbery. So these two men go – Harvey Keitel is walking down the street and one of the other cops has busted these two guys trying to rob a grocery store. And so the cop is standing between the two – robbers and the store owner and everybody's fighting and Harvey Keitel walks into the middle of it. Cause he was really just coming to get a beverage or something. Yeah. That is very clear. Like he was just on his way to the store to get a snack. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, Oh shit, I got to do work. And I can't remember quite how this goes down. He sends the, the owner out and, to, and he the, tells the cop to take him downtown yes. to get his statement. Yeah. So Harvey Keitel is alone with the two robbers. And God, I can't remember the exchange between him and the two two kids. But he basically terrifies the two of them and tells them to get out of it. Like, he, he demands the money. 
Yeah, you don't yeah. lie to me. You don't, stole the money. You took give it. me the money. Just no, shut the fuck up and give me the money. And and it's like he just talks to them while not talk but demands the money. He, he does he never raises his voice. Yeah, he just is so intense that they're like, "Oh shit, man. Here's the money." And then they run off. He tells them to, he tells them they can tells him to get lost, but he takes the money and then he just goes gets a package of Oreos and starts eating it. <laughs> While and here's the thing, the the owner of the store's daughter is standing like little girl is is he sees her and he's like, "Hey, your daddy will be back soon." Yeah. So it's doubtful whether the little girl like it's unclear whether she how much she saw, but he just shook down the robbers. Mhm. Took the money that they stole. So in an essence, he just stole from the store owner. Then walks further into the store, grabs some sort of snack cake, and walks out with it. Yep. Like, weirdly, it's the snack cake that is just insult to injury for Indeed. me. Indeed. That's the thing that always sticks with me is him walking around with that fucking cookie or whatever it is. Yeah, it's like, and you just walk up and just fucking take it. Ugh. God. Like, weirdly, I would have had more respect from him if he had taken the money that he had just double stolen and like put down like i'm taking this cookie but here i'm paying for it right like weirdly yeah no it's just well and the thing is it's also shown that all the cops around him are also completely callous they're also assholes oh yeah they're 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 in the middle of like oh they've been gunned down double tapped to the head in the car and they're like yeah oh it's pretty bad are you, what do you think about those Mets, though? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't think they're going to win. And they're standing right next to this horrible murder, and they're, they're more concerned about sports. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. <sighs> it's really hard. It's a hard film to watch. It's it well done. But this is this is not a film that I can, like, unabashedly recommend. It's like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're into indie film, if you... If this is the type of film that you would enjoy watching, then watch it yeah. and get out of it the good th- the things that are good about it. But I cannot recommend that you watch this in good faith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really depends on your tastes. And if you really want to see an amazing performance by an amazing actor, this is a very good but movie. You just the, have to be one of those amazing performances of look. I can be a fucking scumbag, <laughs> unrepentant. Well, no, not exactly true, but just balls to the wall, unremitting, doubling down scum. Mm-hmm. Like, and the, it's hard to watch somebody so completely vile. Right. And, oh, and the way his family and... Uh, and everyone around him yeah and then it's the teenage girls that that is the scene where i'm like oh you really want to make sure that it's clear how morally corrupt this man is oh yeah okay oh, so you're not old enough to have a license mm-hmm. i have now established that you are mid-teens you're definitely below the age of consent mm-hmm. so he stops these two girls in a car because their headlights out it's an excuse to stop him. And basically, he puts the fear of God in them. I'm going to give you a ticket. Please, my dad can't know. I shouldn't be driving. It's his car. He doesn't know I have it. I shouldn't be driving. I don't even have a license. Okay, you're too young to have a license. Well, what are you going to give me so I don't write you a ticket? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the version I saw, 
it's very obvious what happened next. So they just move on. Like, what are you going to give me? So I don't write a ticket. Look, look, uncomfortable silence, move on. What happens in your version, Melissa? Well, the scene continues where he, he continues to stand outside the car and he tells one of the girls to start stripping inside the car and he tells the other one to like mimic like she's giving fellatio but like not on anything just like in the air it's bizarre and so as she's as the driver is doing kind of this air fellatio thing and waggling her tongue he masturbates outside the car he never lays a hand on him but Okay. There's a guy jacking off on your car, girls. In a way that's nicer than what I, the impression I was left with. Here's mm-hmm. a funny thing. By cutting the movie, they made it worse. Right. Right. Because <laughs> I kind of just assumed he at least got a blowjob out of those girls, if not more. Well, it's the Lovecraft principle. You imagine far more horrible things when you're not told what's happened. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, there, it's a it's a it is a disturbing scene when you see it in full, just because it's so bizarre. <laughs> it just well, there's the, a lot that's bizarre in this movie. Like, yeah. there's a scene where he's he's driving, he finds out that he's lost yet another bet. He's fucking high as a kite, so part of you can't help but be like, "Dude should not be driving." Oh yeah, especially because he pulls out his gun and shoots the radio in his car because. <laughs> And he's sitting in traffic and he shoots and mm-hmm. the windows are down because it's it's summer and he shoots the radio and people are like, what the hell? So his response is to put the siren on top of his car so that he can go through traffic so he doesn't have to deal with the fact that he just shot the radio and then he's driving with the siren and like bawling. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, it's a great performance, but it's just like, oh, dude. Oh, you are so messed up. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I will give the movie this one thing. It does not make drugs look cool or fun mm. at all. There is nothing. Oh, God, no. There is nothing glorified at all about any of this stuff. You just sit and stare at this character and wonder and just see how just horribly broken he is and how he just pours chemicals into himself trying to fill this vast hole that he has built inside of himself when his drug lady shoots him up yeah like that's a horrifying you can see it hit his system and how far out of it he is and just like oh that's not good no no like that's not bliss like that's ugh um and then there's that, okay, let's go to disturbing when the nun is talking about how she is forgiving her rapist mm-hmm. because she should have, because Jesus was love, blah, 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 blah. The line, though, I wrote it down because it just was like, what? I ought to have turned bitter semen into fertile sperm. <sighs> What, what, what you're saying you should have gotten pregnant. Yep. Like that would have made the rape better. But to turn their hate into love, into the love of a child. I, I just, 
couldn't parse that sentence because it was so what i mean it's beautifully poetic and it does encapsulate the character Mm -hmm. very well Mm -hmm. but it is also a line that just yanks you up short and makes you go i am not okay with that line oh yeah really not well i mean we're we're definitely not the right audience for that line i will say (laughs) there there is a very heavy religious undercurrent in everything that has to do with the nun and you know, the end of the movie, it's, it's all about this. It's, it's all about Catholicism and, um, <laughs> you know, Harvey Keitel being a horrible human. I, I love his line. I'm blessed. I'm a fucking Catholic, you know, just, <laughs> 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 but, but, um, it's just a, it, it's a very interesting pairing putting these two characters together on the screen. They are so, there, there's just this vast gulf between them. Well, you have the one person who's had a horrible life-destroying thing happen to her, mm-hmm. but she's at peace. Yes. And you have the other person who arguably has power over everything around him, and his life is falling apart. Right. It's, I mean, it's great construction. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the scene with the drug dealer and the drug dealer invites him and come on in, have dinner. Are you, yeah. you don't look good. Like the person who is nicest to him is his drug dealer buddy. And then mm-hmm. he sits down next to the mom and she's like, oh, honey, here, have some pills. You need mm-hmm. them. Oh, and here's like, a box of money. Yeah. <laughs> and right in front of mom, like, here's the money, 30000 there you go. And the, and it was such a sweet and tender scene. Mm-hmm. And it, that made it even more fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> because like, wh- why is the, the mom's kind of in on it, but she's being super nice to him. And maybe you should just stay with them for a while. Like maybe they can help you turn this shit around. Yeah, maybe. Because it bet- seems like they've got it figured out. Well, the final third of the film is just really... You know, uh, it is a whole string of these wonderful character moments like that one or his uh, confrontation with the nun. And he meets Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> he meets Jesus and yells at – he screams at Jesus. Oh, he has beef with Jesus. Literally, Jesus shows up. Yes. Jesus <laughs> – he's hallucinating Jesus. And then uh-huh. it turns out to be a woman who has found the, the- cup that was stolen during the rape. Mm-hmm. So she can point him – at exactly who the two rapists were, mm-hmm. which is how he finds the two rapists. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he he follows them into... Wait, before you go there, yeah, I have to point out that his friend hands him all of that money and says, you know, be careful, that's $30,000. Mm-hmm. Remember, he's in for one hundred and twenty, Right. Plus whatever it is that he's stolen from his friends that he's eventually going to have to pay them back. Right. So he's got 30000 and he is high as a goddamn, like, like astral plane kite. Mm-hmm. Major Tom wishes he was that high. <laughs> so as I'm watching him stumble around, I keep going, he's going to lose the money. Where's the money? Does he still have it? Oh, good. There it is. You're going to leave the money in the car, aren't you, you motherfucker? Oh, nope. Good. You still got it. Like, all of the rest of the scenes 
I am checking in on that money in every scene. <laughs> because I'm just like, you got handed 30000 I don't even know that you're aware of it. She was uh, so fucked up. And it's $30,000 in a box with a little, it, that's been hand decorated and decoupage. like decoupage with a cross made in, of little broken shards of mirror on the top. Yeah, it's like super sparkly. It, and it's and it's super, super symbolic, I think, you know? It's very Hispanic and yeah. It's no... And it's very it's God. Very, yeah, it's very, here's the money. And it's, so, and it's your choice what to do with it. Like, and so, this could change things. Yeah. How the, he, This is a box full of change. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with it? And what he does is, it's still money in hand, after he yells at Jesus for, howls at Jesus. Oh, yeah, he uh, howls. like howls. Like, just... Oh, like Har- he's moaning. Oh, Harvey Cartel when he goes full ugly cry is amazing. So he, <laughs> after howling at Jesus for a while, he, you know, he, the Jesus turns into the woman with the with the chalice, and she points out the the rapists, and he follows the rapists into their presumed living room, and um, he just sits down with them and starts watching the baseball game. He makes it. He pulls a gun on him first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's yeah. like, "I know what you did. I know who you are. You motherfuckers. Did it feel good to rape her? Yeah, let's watch the game. Yeah, he, and and they do do they do some drugs together, and then he, if I remember right, he points a gun at him again, and then he gets them in the the cop car. He starts driving them around, and he's, he has this. He he has them. He he handcuffs them because they have yeah. their jacket over the handcuffs. I remember yes. that. Yes, and they're in the car, and he has this wonderful string of monologue, you know, just yelling at them about, you know, the woman forgiving them and him not understanding it. And also, I love this point. He points the gun at them in the car, and he goes, how do you like that? You can't do anything about it. You know, how does that make you feel? And pointing out to them that now the table's turned, how does this make you feel? This is how you made that nun feel when you assaulted her. Powerless. And, yeah. And somebody else has control over your life. Yeah. Yeah. And and so there, there's this wonderful just wave of emotions going over him and just a string of, of dialogue with all of his basically thinking out loud. And then he drops him off at Penn Station. He literally slaps them a few times, shoves the money in their hands and puts them on a bus. You you better get out of this town. If you're in this town, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Like, I better not hear about you being in this town. Yeah. And off they go and he walks away crying and he mm-hmm. gets in his car and he drives someplace and stops. And then another car drives by, hey, cop, shoots him and drives away. Mm-hmm. And it's unclear because the the bookie has made it clear you're in for 120. They will come after you. They will yeah. come after your family. You you don't understand who you're in for. So whether or not this was random or specifically related to the money he owes or one of the billions of other bad things he did is completely ambiguous, but it's Kind of doesn't matter. Like this right. was what this was where this man's life was going to end. Yeah, yeah. He basically took his the the box of money. Like he took the box of salvation 
handed it to somebody else, and then that was his end. Box of salvation. That's good. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, that's bad, Lieutenant. Did, did you notice he was parked in front of a, a Trump Plaza sign? Oh, I didn't. Oh, my ah. God. That's like, wow, that has a different angle these days. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. It's an indie film. It's only an hour and a half or so, like mm-hmm. hour, hour and 40. So it's pretty short, but it's going to make you feel every minute. Oh, yeah. It, it, you know what? It, it Tonally, it reminds me of two movies. It reminds me of Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. and, and it reminds me of Natural Born Killers. It's like, unlike Natural Born Killers, this movie is not shiny, but it has that same, the, the world is horrible sort of vibe to it. Awful people. Awful people. Yeah. It, it's a, the seedy, backwards shadow world of the 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. So then, in the 2000s. In 2009, we get. Werner Herzog decided he wanted to make a movie. Now, it is unclear whether he ever intended for Bad Lieutenant to be at any part of it or if it was just tacked on for marketing. Well, I did a bunch of homework and I still couldn't figure out how Werner Herzog came upon this. Because I have no idea. The, <laughs> the writer, the writer and director, Ferreira, when mm-hmm. he found out about it, was like, what? Yeah. So he didn't sell the rights. It's not any sort of authorized remake that he knew of. And like, why would you even do that? Werner Herzog has said, no, it's not a remake. Maybe it's a reimagining. I don't know. But like, so the like the only clear thing that even remotely makes sense is that it's like, well, it's the same type of story. Let's put Bad Lieutenant on it for marketing purposes. Well, the thing is, there are certainly because, more course, marketable titles you could put on a movie. <laughs> it's mean, true. Really. Yeah, and that's where that's the part that doesn't make sense. Well, except Scorsese did did call Bad Lieutenant one of his top ten films of the nineties. Well, yeah, uh, film nerds know of Bel- Bad Lieutenant. Uh, you know, film nerds of a certain stripe. But I don't cat, feel like it's. I'm, I have to interrupt. My cat is having some sort of dream over there, and she just. Like did some sleep running. It was so cute. <laughs> and her ears are really pricked up like she's listening to something in her dream. What? <laughs> what? Oh, mighty huntress. Mighty huntress of dreams. Anyway, sorry. It was very distracting. I, I couldn't hear you from her cute. All right. So uh, Werner Herzog. Yeah. Like how is, how is mar- that a marketing ploy? Oh, here's a film nobody saw. Yeah. And it's uh, Werner Herzog. I find absolutely fascinating. He is a interesting filmmaker, to say the least. But yeah, I don't like what if you have not. Yeah, okay, dear listeners, if you have not entered the world of Herzog at all, I have seen. I think all except one or two movies that he's made. Most of them are documentaries, and and uh, he's. He's very German. Uh, he's, his documentaries tend to be fairly high art or, um, you know, have that a certain combination of cynical and optimistic that is very peculiar to 
people of his yeah, ilk. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's and, a good point. It's very cynical and yet oddly optimistic. Yeah. And, and yet he every once in a while breaks into doing a fiction film like Strozek or Heart of Glass or um, uh, My Son, My Son, What Have You Done with Michael Shannon, which is very good. And Bad Lieutenant. And when you watch something like Bad Lieutenant, it's like, how how, how did this happen? Like, because <laughs> was this there is, nobody this is, paying attention? Yeah. Well, the thing is, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans, is a remarkable movie. I really like it. There's a lot going on there, and there are layers upon layers of of things going on and that you can deconstruct and because it's Herzog and Herzog, you know, just loves doing stuff like this, but it, it doesn't feel like a Herzog movie. It's, it's very, very strange. This is probably the glossiest movie he's ever done. Like glossy and like, it's the most Hollywood maybe is what I'm trying to say. But anyway, I, yeah. I feel like my watching of this was very, very informed by watching Bad Lieutenant 1992 right before it. I oh, absolutely. I wonder what my perception of this movie would have been without that because I couldn't help but be like, what? He, you're giving him a reason for his drug addiction? Mm -hmm. What? He's a good cop? He's the best investigator you've got? What? He's, he it's it's very interesting. It's it's, it's, so it's not different. a remake. And it's you not a remake. I, it's no, not at all. But I couldn't help but compare them and the comparison really made me go like the, I'm sorry, your bad lieutenant is not so bad. Well, no, it's absolutely true. But um I mean there are he is a bad lieutenant. It's just in contrast to Harvey Keitel, he's not that bad. Oh, he's slightly naughty. He's naughty. Well, <laughs> oh, well, well, anyway. I mean, he still does some bad stuff, but well, he does some Harvey, really Tell, awful Harvey stuff. Keitel achieves a level of scum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, listeners, a key difference is at the beginning of the movie, he, because of the flood of Katrina, Mm -hmm. He jumps into some water to let a prisoner out and in the process gets injured. And right after that, he's meeting with the doctor of, oh, you're going to be basically disabled for the rest of your life. You're going to live in pain for the rest of your life. Here's a prescription for Vicodin. Refill it as much as you need. Mm -hmm. And that moment I'm like, wait, you're giving him a reason for his drug addiction? Mm -hmm. And you're telling me that prior to this, he was an okay cop? So well, I mean, it it it's so, it's made I mean, clear in the first scene that he's he's kind of a callous asshole. I mean, he and Val Kilmer are. By know, the way, Val Kilmer is in this movie. Val Kilmer is delightful. He's he's very subtle in this movie. Like like Werner Herzog knew, like if he had both Val Kilmer and Nicolas Cage turned all the way up, we wouldn't be able to handle it. So Val Kilmer is yeah. kind of on the down low, but, uh, yeah. Although I did say, I have a, <laughs> I wrote in my notes. Oh, Val. Oh, Val. Val, what are you doing in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> but you were saying, but yeah, you know, I mean, when they're the, the, the very 
start of that scene is like they're rifling through the uh you know the lockers of the the other people who work at that station you know everything everybody else is left because it's flooding during katrina but they're jerks they're jerks they're assholes they're stealing shit they're jerks and and they're joking about leaving him behind to mm -hmm. die but i i honestly couldn't tell like was it a joke or was that really their intent? Like, how bad are they already? But the thing is, by giving a reason for how his addiction starts, it makes him so it it's it's so much more of a trope of, oh, this poor man, if he can only overcome this obstacle. I don't as think as opposed that's, to just Harvey Keitel is just a fucking addict. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think the way I see it is that they Herzog wanted a little bit more balance in the character rather than just going straight for the bottom with with Harvey Keitel's bad lieutenant Nicolas Cage's bad lieutenant is more like he could do bad or good depending on the needs of the situation and throughout the movie you notice that if he tries to do something good he's punished but if he does something bad, it works out. So huh? it, it's this interesting, it, it's this interesting play. And then when it's put against the backdrop of uh, Hurricane Katrina, and you see um, the other cops around him, how they behave in the community, it's um, kind of an illustration how government failed the city of new orleans how you know corruption hindered the healing of new orleans you know all the all this stuff it's the um you know giving him the the ability to do either good or bad makes the ensuing scenes very interesting yeah it's a different movie it's a completely it's, different movie it is I a mean, completely different when movie. you're when you've just come from harvey keitel right who is just a bad guy, not like a bad guy, but just a man who is very un unredeemable, right? And then you get this sort of look. Poor guy got hurt, and now he's an addict because oh dear, it mm-hmm. you, it's so it feels cartoony. <laughs> oh, it, and it kind of is. I mean, it's very arch when you when you look at it. I mean, by the end, well, you know, iguanas. Yeah, and he gets he gets fucking a medal for jumping in that water and getting injured. Extreme valor mm-hmm. in the line of duty. They what? Well, you know there were poisonous snakes and shit down there, so you know. Oh, you'll love this. This is how I encapsulated <laughs> the movie in my notes. Okay, more plot, less acting. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and but that said, there's some great dialogue. Like his captain's like, "How's your old man doing? Drinking himself into an early grave." Give him my best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? And the, and his captain tells him, "Well, I'm going to make you lead investigator, even though you don't really have the experience for it, because you have really good instincts and you work so hard." And like, if you've just watched the Harvey Keitel, you're like, "Who's this character? Where's the bad lieutenant? I don't get it." Yes. <laughs> but, and oh, by the way, listeners, Michael Shannon does have a small part. Oh, he does. Oh, oh, can we talk about the sex scene with the bust where he stops the couple? Yes. So, the, the, I mean, oh the, the stopping the couple, I mean, that mirrors the, the scene with the two teenagers in the car in Keitel's version. So, 
He's looking for cash and or drugs. He needs cash for himself also because he owes money. He's also just looking for drugs because he needs another fix. Mm -hmm. So he stops a couple coming out of a club and like, you match the description of people passing drugs. Do you have any drugs? Do you have any drugs? Finally, he finds some drugs and is like, you can tell he's like, great, I have some drugs now. I'm going to do these drugs. And the woman is like, what can I do to get out of this? And so she starts giving him a hand job mm-hmm. right there. And then he's like, and then he basically is talking dirty to her. Like if they were having sex, he's it like, the weirdest does your sex daddy talk. know you don't, you don't wear underwear? Oh. And then, so he pulls up her skirt and maybe they, there is some penetration there. It's unclear. At least there's some definite genital rubbing. I, I don't know how that position works. Yeah. That was like, um, I, I was trying to do the physics of that, but it is the weirdest sex talk because he's like, what about your parents? Did they molest you? Did they buy you back to school clothes? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the boyfriend is getting disgusted watching his girlfriend do this. So he starts to leave. So he pulls out a gun while he's still like gyrating and jerked off. He pulls out a gun and points it, shoots it, then points it. You get back here and you watch this. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and his face, what I wrote was, wow, there is some acting going on there nick like he's ooh, he's doing the nick cage oh yeah acting and ooh, did they buy you back to school clothes it's so weird how about how about nick cage at the pharmacist oh but that scene i actually <laughs> loved yeah i actually yeah. loved it because he says you've kept me waiting here for 40 minutes mm-hmm. it's clear he wants the vicodin because he's in pain now granted he may or may not have a fix, but let's put this in the best possible terms, right? <laughs> this is a man who is in constant pain. He does have a prescription for Vicodin and you have let him just stand there for 40 minutes because you've been on a personal phone call mm-hmm. because no work phone call goes for 40 minutes and no. you don't just leave somebody standing there. And then he's like, fuck you. And he goes behind, finds it. Here it is. This is what I needed here. I'm paying you for it. Here's mm-hmm. $5 extra for the tip. Get out of my face. Like, on the one hand, did he just abuse his power? Yes. But on the other hand, was it justified? And did he cover all the bases of not being a jerk? Yeah. Yeah. But he did go full cage, which is something I always appreciate. Oh, oh, yeah. I really do. I really do. Oh, yeah. And then he snorts when he thinks it's coke, but it turns out to be heroin. So he has to go go get different drugs. (laughs) The the line, I wrote it down. I snorted what I thought was coke, but it was heroin, and I need to be at work in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And so... So he comes in, she's like, but I got a customer here because Eva Mendez is his prostitute girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I got a customer in here. He's like, is he holding anything? Well, yeah, he always always brings his own cocaine. Oh, so he basically shakes him down for his drugs and his money. And Eva Mendez is standing there desperately trying not to smile, Mm -hmm. trying to play along so that he can shake him down so they can have the drugs. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a sweet, delightful scene. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, for as much as the original Bad Lieutenant made drugs look not fun at all, there are some really delightful scenes in Port of Call, New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, there's kind of this glee to it. Yeah. I mean, not, and not that it makes drugs look great it's just the the tone of the filmmaking it's like herzog's being 
playful. Yeah, it is. Playful's a good word for it. Oh, by the way, did did you read the bit of trivia that for the river water in the scene at the beginning, they they had to use decaf coffee. Originally, they had poured lots of regular coffee in it, but the actor in the water was absorbing the caffeine through his oh skin. God. Oh, God. Oh, God. So they had to use decaf coffee. He's, he's so high. <laughs> yeah, and I, apparently it was affecting him. Oh, my God. They're like, uh, okay, wait, what? Are okay, coffee need- baths a thing? <laughs> why why wouldn't they be oh. mm-hmm. um, okay. also nick got genuinely drunk for leaving las vegas mm-hmm. but he claims he didn't really get high for this i like how in the imdb they use the word claims yeah although you know i kind of buy that with this one yeah I mean, it's it hard to be that fucked up i i don't think they were going for like full authenticity here whereas leaving las vegas was a very harrowing sort of yeah. Uh, yeah. performance. So let's talk for a second about his physical performance. <laughs> the Hunchback of Notre Dame performance? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I was trying to figure out, was he contorting himself or did they even like add extra padding to that one shoulder? I and think he cons- was just being method. I think he was just contorting himself. I do like, you know, when he came into the room, he'd, he'd kind of do almost a Frankenstein walk, but yeah, he, he, I he was just... Stompy walk. He was just inside comical. I mean, he was just, I mean, it would have been ludicrous taken any further, but I, I do love. It's sort of stompy John Wayne, and he's sort of hunching over, and one shoulder is higher, and like, he's, 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 he's a nickel short of Quasimodo. Yes. But I, I love the look on his face in those scenes, because it's like, I've had those days <laughs> the, yeah. the the chronic pain days where the primary thought in my brain is how much this sucks and well, i'm and only cons- barely managing to pierce the cloud in order to talk to you um the conspicuous <laughs> way like he sits right i'm like yeah. dude get a fucking back brace yeah yeah like and where's where's the pt like they should have Supplied some kind of physical therapy. <laughs> um, oh my god! And his gun is so big; <laughs> it's enormous, and he just shoves it into his waistband. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they give cops a holster. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. why would you shove a gun into your waistband? Number one, it's pretty conspicuous, but also, hello, that can't be comfortable. No. But he's like, look at this gigantic penis gun I've got in my my waistband. I don't want to put it in a holster. I want to put it right here where it can shoot my dick off at any time. <sighs> oh, it, it, it's a it's a black comedy. That's that's the thing I kind of love about this. Well, that's the thing I love a lot. I love black comedies, and that's what this is. I don't know if it's black. It is a dark comedy. It is a dark. I don't know if it actually achieves black. Eh, okay, so like dark taupe or something. Eh? That, uh, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, I wrote down how he said the slime so I, the line so I'd remember. Two times <laughs> on Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> like he does, he goes full cage on two dimes. Beat <laughs> on Louisiana. <laughs> and the iguanas listeners we okay, keep talking about the iguanas we need to explain he is starting to hallucinate he's on so yeah. many drugs 
He is so strung out. I wrote down the dialogue for this, too. <laughs> oh, good. What is it? Tell okay. Me. What are these fucking iguanas doing on my coffee table? And Val Kilmer replies, There ain't no iguana. And he goes, Yeah, there are. There ain't no iguana. What the fuck is that? Jostles the iguana. Fucking iguana. Fucking iguana. <laughs> and they're, because they're in this room on a stakeout looking out the window with a whole bunch of people. And he's like, what the fuck is with the iguanas? So then they're like, he's just like watching the stakeout, but he keeps looking down, looking down at the iguanas, the iguanas. And then... And then a music video happens <laughs> with the iguanas. The igu- starring the iguanas. <laughs> starring the iguanas. And it's like yodeling. It's, it's, the music is... No, the, it's, it, it's, it's, no it's, a, it's a popular song. What song is it? It's like, oh, um, no, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. It's, um... Um, like under the boardwalk or something. It's like some oh, classic yeah, 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 pop yeah. tune. Yeah. Oh God, I forgot. And and Herzog just lovingly shoots these iguanas with like like really up close with Nick Cage in the in the background. And just and Nick Cage is just watching out the window until finally the last shot. Just his eyes go down to the iguanas as they're finishing singing, and he smiles. Hmm. What? <laughs> oh, hey, Feruza Balk is in this movie, too. Oh, yes, absolutely. But Feruza Balk, at the end of her life, she is I... really looking strung out. Ooh. Did you notice that? Mm-mm. She's, like, way super skinny, like, and her face oh, yeah, is yeah, really yeah. gaunt. Yeah, I did notice that part. I'm I'm like, oh, Feruza, yay, oh, yay, oh, but yeah so going back to the iguanas yeah well i mean uh, one of the great things about this movie uh and part of this i enjoy because i am very familiar with Werner herzog it's like wow that's a herzog moment the iguanas very herzog um the part where um uh, dear listeners, throughout this movie, um, Nicolas Cage is supposed to be investigating the murder of the Senegalese fan- family, and there's the part where he goes into the home where the murders took place. There's this weird little interlude where he finds a fish <laughs> and a poem about the fish. Yes. My friend is a fish. He lives in my room. And then there's this little time out with the fish. And then on with the story. And, you know, with the iguanas, it's the same thing. Like, the movie stops dead, and there's this bizarro music video with the iguanas. But the, there's a on. callback on the fish. Yeah, there's a callback on the fish. Um, there's a random, gratuitous alligator. There, yes. Uh, yeah, there, there are just these, mm, I don't know, every half hour or so, just little Herzog touches. It's like, do you remember this is a Herzog film? Well, here you go. <laughs> well, Nick Cage also, he they've shaved his sideburns all the way off. So it, it's like his hair is perched on the back of his head. Right. Right. Because it's so far back on his head and there's no sideburns to like pull it forward at all. It looks so weird and it makes him look really skull. Like, yeah. Very scully, very plastic, very plasticky. Yeah. Uh, I love when he, the drug dealer that he nabs and like, then he's like, give me some stuff. And he's smoking up in front of the drug dealer and the drug dealer is looking at him with utter disgust. (laughs) Just like, Jesus Christ, you're, what a, you are fucked up. I can't even. Or I love it. This is my lucky crack pipe. 
You don't have a lucky crack pipe? <laughs> and that's all a setup so he can yeah. frame the main drug dealer. Yeah. And then I knew it was going to happen. So the kid who is the witness to the murder mm-hmm. and they have to put him under police protection – so he's in charge of this kid and they go off to Biloxi so he can find his girlfriend who's been beat up. That's a subplot with his dad's dog in the back. Like like I said, more plot, less acting. So yeah. much plot. And he's got this kid in tow. And then sure enough, I'm like, you're going to lose the kid because you are so fucking high. And he keeps mm-hmm. like, stay here. I'm going to go do this thing. I'm like, do you understand murderers are after him? No, he doesn't stay behind. And then sure enough, kid wanders off. They can't find him. And he's off to London and, nope, you you don't get him now. And then, so he finds out the kid's in London by threatening an old woman with (laughs) killing her and holding a gun to them. Like, they're not going to talk? Yeah, I know. That's, it's like, what did you think was, and then when the lieutenant- Hold on. I yeah. love the entry into that scene. <laughs> the door closes and he's behind the door with an electric shaver. <laughs> Shaving like, Shaving. I've been up and I've been up for so long and I've had one hour of sleep and I'm, I'm just, oh my God, he is Nick Caging all over the yes. place. Yes. <laughs> and then, but then the scene after that where his lieutenant finds out and his lieutenant is like tacit, like, yeah, it's okay. Like, I keep telling you guys, you can't get away with this shit like you used to be able to do. So it's okay, except for the part where they talked. What the hell? <laughs> and what is with his accent at the end? It gets weirdly New York. I think the accent happens, like, if he's backed into a corner, he starts having an accent. But it's not that an partic- accent that makes sense. I know it doesn't. Oh, God. Yes, it's very. it's a very odd movie. And so his, it's almost like his, his captain wants to help him out. So when he gets beached, when he gets grounded for trying to kill an old woman, his captain's like, I got to put you in the property room for your desk job. You know, the property room where they bring the drugs after the drug bus so that he can just steal them right away. <laughs> and then... He finds a football player to shake down to for, simply so he can force him to throw the game so he can bet on it, so mm-hmm. he can get his money back. And then he becomes friendly with the drug dealer, but then holds a gun to his head. I'm like, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's right there in the title. Okay, here. Let me read you my notes aloud because they're <laughs> bullet points. They're su- super fun. He shakes down a football player just to make him throw a game. Now he's holding a gun to the drug dealer's head. Now his prostitute friend doesn't want the drugs. Is one shoulder padded higher? Oh, he's gone straight up crazy pants now. Shoot him again. His soul's still dancing. I wrote that down too. (laughs) (laughs) So all of this shit goes down. He's so high. And then out of nowhere, Val Kilmer, who's been gone for an hour... Shows back up in the movie and is saying, let's murder the drug dealer. (laughs) Let's frame it so we can kill him. And Nick Cage is looking at him like, what the actual fuck? And like, I want the movie where Stevie is the main character. Stevie is the Val Kilmer character. Mm -hmm. Because Stevie looks at him and says, what? You draw the line at murder. Murder is where it gets interesting. That's where it gets fun. Mm Mm-hmm. What has Stevie been doing yeah, while know, we've right? been following Nick Cage around? <laughs> and 
so so he's been buddying up to the cop, to the drug dealer, like he's going to be corrupt, simply to set him up with the crack pipe so he could finally bust him for the murder because he really did care about the murder. And then it's a year later, Eva Mendez, who's his prostitute girlfriend, is now pregnant. Mm-hmm. His father and his mo- and his stepmother are cleaned up, and so is he. I, I would like a- to point out, stepmother played by Jennifer Coolidge. Yes. And she's amazing. She is. She's so good. Uh, Dear listeners, if you don't recognize that name, she's uh, from the Christopher Guest movies. She's usually playing the the amazing airhead character. Yeah, she uh, um, she plays the nail technician in Legally Blonde, too. Yeah, yeah. And and she's amazing at that character. But this movie, she plays kind of this. She uh, actually acts. She actually acts. Uh, she's just kind of this old, broken down beer alcoholic, you know, and and she's wonderful. She's amazing in that role. So we flash to a year later where now Nick Cage is getting another commendation for arresting the drug dealer. And now he's being promoted to captain. Mm-hmm. And oh, look how great his life is. And he's turned it all around, except... He's still, quote, working nights. He goes off and shakes down another couple coming out of a bar in the exact same way, except mm-hmm. uh, presumably he doesn't get a hand job this time. And then he's sitting in a room with the cocaine, but the dude that he saved at the beginning comes in, so lovely bookend, and is like, I've been, I've been clean and sober for a year now, and I thank you. You saved my life. Let me help you. Let's get out of here. So they go to an aquarium. Hold on. And- Hold on. And then Nicolas Cage says, do fish have dreams? He says that before they go to the aquarium and then the aquarium, they're just sitting there. And then at the end, he kind of half laughs and done. It's, oh, what? no, you missed the line. The, the line in the aquarium is, I still hate that I ruined my underwear for you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah. I can see why you like Werner Herzog. He is your guy. Yeah. He's in your wheelhouse. He totally is. I, I mean, I need to show you more Herzog because there is a vast array of Herzog. Yeah, I feel like what needs to actually happen for me with this movie is I need to watch some more Herzog and then come back looking at it through that lens instead of looking at it through the lens of this gritty, independent 1992 film. Because mm-hmm. that's how I watched it and it tainted it. Like oh, no, I couldn't I, yeah. enjoy the over t- over the top bizarreness because I'm just like, why would you do this? Why why wouldn't you just make that really excellent film, but like with a different take? No, uh, apparently now they're singing iguanas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why. And and Nicolas Cage kind of side eyeing them and then smiling because it makes him happy. And oh. His soul is still dancing. Shoot him again. <laughs> and then there's break dancing and an iguana. And an iguana wanders into that scene. <laughs> yeah. Everything oh. everything is lizards in this movie. Because they're the the club where he keeps shaking down people is the Gators Retreat, and there's just random shots of lizards throughout. And yeah. There's yeah. a snake, there's a snake in the water at the beginning. There's the alligator on the um on the highway yep. that caused the yep. accident. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that is a bad lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. 
three different titles all in one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listeners, that was definitely a thing. That, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I feel like a real cinephile now because I watched those. Like, I got some cred. <laughs> I am totally going to link in the show notes the little iguana scene because that is all over YouTube. <laughs> because that's usually what people's takeaway is from the movie. It's like, what the hell is with the iguanas? The singing um, uh, iguanas. Rightly so. Yeah. 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 I, um, yeah, I cannot fault people for um, taking particular note of that scene. <laughs> yep, 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 uh, yep, yep. Although... To be pedantic, one's an iguana, one's a bearded dragon. I noticed it too. It's okay. Yeah. All right. Melissa, do you have a Pleasure Dome recommendation? Ooh. Yes, I do. I do. Good, because I don't. I need to think about it for a second. <laughs> All right. So, dear listeners, uh, the last time we had one of these twofer episodes, um, I recommended a Don Hertzfeld animation. I am going to recommend another Don Hertzfeld animation. I am going to recommend Wisdom Tooth. It is on YouTube, and I will link it in the show notes. And it is stick figure animation, like most of Don Hertzfeld's stuff is. And uh, it is a very nice example of playing the long game in comic timing. Okay. Also, fake Swedish. <laughs> Always comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I have a Pleasure Dome recommendation. All right. Um, those of you who follow me on my Facebook already would have seen it, but it it is the definition of what I would want in my Pleasure Dome, for it has brought me joy. There is a short video of two river otters cuddling. Oh. And so, like... Not spooning, like face-to-face, wrapping their arms around each other, touching each other's faces, doing a little bit of what couples do with like, no, your arm goes here. No, I'm not comfortable like that. No, put your arms down. There. Ah, yes. (laughs) And they're river otters, and they're so cute. And it's it's 20, maybe 20 seconds, like, and it will just make you smile. So that's what I give you, listeners. I give you otters cuddling. Aw. You're welcome. I feel that that's a great little after dinner mint for these two <laughs> movies. <laughs> well, maybe that's part of why Haber recommended too. Like, after all this, huh, look at they're so fuzzy and cute. Here's a whiff of thin mint. Listeners, this has been our episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome about very, very bad lieutenants. And I have been one of your co-hosts, Wendy, joined, as always, by my other co-host, Melissa. And we thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next week. And we hope that in the meantime, you don't get stopped by the cops. Breakdancing iguanas. (laughs) All right. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome.
Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. Indeed. That's a very long title. <laughs> it's like they just kept adding words onto it. Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. What? Donut. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously.